In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The men gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Isn't this a wonderful story? Everything was very good. And all of this is absolutely true. Okay, We have to understand that. It's true. This is exactly how it happened. Exactly. Everything is perfect. Everything is running smoothly. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? 
Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put in between between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Paradise lost. The scriptures go on to say that the very ground is cursed because of the man. Work would now become a great toil. The curse. But this is more a statement of cause and effect than it is of judgment. Well, okay, a good argument can be made that righteous judgment is simply cause and effect. Okay, The point here is that the actions of the serpent clearly acting for, maybe as Satan, those of Eve and Adam's complicity are all met with radical ramifications. Cause and effect. From sin, a putrid outflow of relational discord. Obviously, there is a fracturing of humanity's relationship with nature and with nature's God. But of particular interest is what happened to the family dynamic, the venue for which the woman was perfectly and beautifully designed. Instead of the wife helping the husband, now we can expect something distorted. Instead of joy in children, we see pain. The critical verse with which we ended is difficult in Hebrew. Robert Young gave us this literal translation. Unto the woman he said, Multiplying I multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow dost thou bear children, and toward thy husband is thy desire, and he doth rule over thee. Dr. Young completed this work in 1898, which explains the thous and the thys. And <laughs> multiplying I multiply. This is going to be bad, kid. <laughs> really bad. Sorrow is often, linguistically, associated with pain. And as we read in the ESV, many translators believe that's the point here, pain. But there's clearly something else going on, something additional. The phrasing of the sentence is unique. Okay. Sorrow added to sorrow. Maybe it's about more than just the physical act of bearing children. And I'm completely convinced that it is. Uh, in fact, I think it's primarily about the family dynamic. The difficulty, the sorrow of strained relationships. They made loincloths for themselves. Why? <laughs> they were the only two people in the world, okay? From whom were they hiding? They'd never seen each other except on naturel, okay? That's 
Remember Satan's lie? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. But the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And now they're putting up barriers, specifically guarding that which is most intimate, most vulnerable. They no longer trusted each other. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband. Desire is the stretching out, the reaching for. Okay. Does he mean wanting to belong to? Wishing for the relationship they used to have. The paradise they lost. He could mean wanting to dominate, to attempt to grasp in a death grip. It's not good enough to help, to be some glorified servant. Why can't I rule? Okay, that kind of desire. It could mean either one or both. Instead of helping, some women let their deep need for the love of a man lead them into manipulation of men for love in sad cases, even allowing themselves to be debased. Other women desire to dominate the men in their lives rather than being a helper fit for him. If not their husbands, then their sons. And if not their sons, then whatever poor guy is near them, right? And men, instead of serving their beautiful brides as a good leader, try to rule over their wives. Why? To gain a sense of power? To, you know, of dominance, of value? whatever. Such has life been throughout history. Even Margaret Mead, she's an anthropologist, if you didn't know, studied civilizations, and she's certainly no friend to the Bible or Christianity. She said in frustration that in no society have women ever dominated men, but not for lack of trying. (laughs) Relationships torn apart and distorted the effect of sin the result of a lack of trust. And such is life in most of the world today. Such was the case at the time Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Of particular interest today, the section called The Household Rules starts in chapter 5, verse 22 and goes to 6-9. These three areas that we began to examine last week all could occur in one household, the husband and his wife, that same man and his children, the very one who was the master of the house with his slaves. Okay, one man. Now, in Jewish communities of the day, women were fairly well protected by the Old Testament rules, but in places like Ephesus, it wasn't so. They didn't know the Old Testament. Women of wealthy families were bartered for honor, for money, for political power. Uh, Women from poor families, yeah, they often didn't fare even that well. One male historian in the capital said it's better to be a dog or a slave in Rome than a woman. Okay? The situation in Ephesus may not have been, or may have been better, probably was a little better, but still, husbands had absolute authority over their families, their households, their wives, their children, their slaves. Absolute authority. To people in that world, Paul writes, wives submit to your own husbands. Um, Paul, it's not like they have a choice. (laughs) Why would you tell women 
whose laws and culture require submission to submit. Children, obey your parents. A child was not considered a person until the father approved of him or her. In other words, the father had full legal authority to literally throw the kid on the trash heap if he so desired. If, for instance, they did not obey. (laughs) Paul, why tell a kid to do what he has no choice but to do? Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Uh, Paul, they're slaves. What else are they going to do? Another surprising element, well, if you know Paul, it's not like he gave a rip about the culture if it stood against God. And yet, these three instructions were standard Greek teaching. And the dominance of the male head of household was a given to first century Ephesians. Why would Paul agree with that philosophy? Why does he repeat it? You probably guessed, didn't you? He turns it on its head. He really does. Pointing out what they're really all about. Compliance for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Paul does teach compliance with submission, but he gives it a whole new reason, a whole new direction. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. The parents are not the primary focus, okay? And you're ready for this last one. Slaves, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. In all cases, the action is done not for the human authority, the man of the house, but for Christ. Submission of wives, obedience and honor of children, service of slaves. For Christians, it is done for Christ in a way to glorify God, a way to help people see Christ. And so is ruling under Christ. In all three cases, the authority figure is not so much told how to rule as he is to serve. And nowhere is a right to rule granted, by the way. Instead, Paul says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's right. I'm in charge of her like Christ is in charge of the church. Wait. What did you say? (laughs) Did you get to the last verse? Instead of seeing domination of their wives as a right, Paul says, if you're in charge, then you love. You serve. In fact, be ready to sacrifice your life for your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Wait a minute. Why do I care what my kids think? I'm the dad here. The standard in that culture was, if necessary, to beat the kid into submission. That was the standard, okay? And you're telling us in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, they were to discipline their children as Christ would. They were to teach them of Christ and as Christ would. Let's say this one other way. They were to pour out the love of the Lord on those little ones. And their slaves, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. They're slaves. (laughs) I should get to do what I want. 
Yeah, they're slaves. And so are you. You have the same master they do. And he sees no difference, no partiality between the two of you. So don't you threaten them. (laughs) Or it might be you in the woodshed with your master, okay? (laughs) I love that he says, masters do the same to them, the same. What did he tell them, the slaves, they were to be doing? Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And the masters are to do the same thing? Yup. <laughs> Instead of expecting absolute submission from their slaves, they were to serve their slaves as they would Christ, as their slaves serve them. And please, don't lose sight of the fact that some of the guys who first heard these words <laughs> were husbands and fathers and masters in that culture. Okay? So, for us, this is an overall look at leadership and submission, both. And it is all for Christ. Everything that is done should be done for Christ. Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Note all the verses throughout this section that show the involvement of Christ so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. If Christ is doing all this, what should we be doing? This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul is talking about marriage, parenting and employee management. But he is first, as always, talking about Christ. Children, your parents may be a big mess, but obey them that it will go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Slaves, no matter how your human master treats you, serve them knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. God promises that if they dedicate their actions to him, he will ensure that they get the proper reward. Your master may not treat you properly, but I will. And a major part of their actions for him relate to drawing others to him. Just like last week we read, Wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. If they were to win people to Christ, it meant living in a manner that would draw people to Christ. Incorrect, non-submissive, Actions in their cultural setting would make it harder to promote the good news of Christ, the Word of God. But what about the issue of submission now? Let's go back to a question we raised earlier. Why did Paul give these instructions at all? Remember, their culture and laws required submission. And not just for these three sets of people. Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy about his congregation. He said to remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. What? We have to submit to the government? (laughs) Well, they did. (laughs) And the writer to the Hebrews said this to church people, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Keeping watch over your souls. 
He's talking about the elders here, the overseers, the pastors, whatever word you use. So everybody in the church is supposed to be submissive to somebody. <laughs> Government and church leaders for sure. Wives, children, and slaves were also members of the church. What does this, this all mean when we read from Paul's very first letter, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one, we're all the same in Christ. So what's the deal? <laughs> There's pretty good evidence that they were already living lives of mutual submission. Men and women, masters and slaves, all. And it is certain that significant movement away from their culture could make it impossible <laughs> to draw others to Christ. So don't live that way because people won't listen to you. So is that it? <laughs> Just live submissively and lead as servants so people will listen to us talk about Christ. No other reason. Are we really just winking at this leadership and submission issue? Could we jettison the idea of submission entirely? I mean, let's face it, our government's pretty messed up. <laughs> and church leaders? Huh, they might be worse. <laughs> Employers? He's just trying to take advantage of us. I mean, why should husbands, who are clearly incompetent, be in charge? Why should any kid have to be submissive to that walking disaster they call their dad or their mom or whatever? If we are all one in Christ Jesus, should there be any hierarchy at all? Especially when you consider the future of submission. For one thing, Jesus said that in the kingdom of heaven, many who are first will be last and the last first. People who were slaves in this life will be put ahead of some who own slaves on this side. And very probably the rest of us too. People we think are unimportant will be granted great honor in heaven. So the order of things is going to change. And as for husbands ruling over wives, Jesus said, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Marry and given in marriage is what is called a mirrorism, like young and old, which means everybody. <laughs> or somebody says, I searched high and low. They mean everywhere. In other words, there is no marriage in heaven. So there can't be anyone ruling over the other in this sense at all. By the way, I promised before Christmas that I'd clear this up when we got to it. <laughs> if there's no marriage, then there's no certain aspect of marriage that interests in particular the males. And a lot of guys are uh, concerned about this information. <laughs> All I can say is what's coming is better than what's here. C.S. Lewis illustrated it sort of like this. I'm borrowing from him. You're explaining the birds and bees to your young son and he says, okay, Dad, but can I eat Skittles while we do this? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I really like Skittles and I don't want to give them up just to do this. Trust me, son, you're not going to be thinking about Skittles. <laughs> the boy doesn't really believe him. How can he? But we can believe God. He knows. It'll be better. Trust me. So no marriage in heaven. No possibility of one spouse 
ruling over another there. So although there's some sort of order in heaven, it's definitely not related to being a husband and wife, or a slave or a master, or even a child and parent. It's not related to that either. The government is holy in the hands of Christ there, so nothing like that. The church is, well, that's all that's there. <laughs> it's the church. And we all answer directly to Jesus. So there's no authority of that type there either. It's gone too. So knowing all this, what do we do now? What is the application of submission in our world? What does this mean where we live? About the same time Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, he wrote one to the Colossian church. About Jesus, he said this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, some of that might mean angelic powers. Okay. But there's no way it can all mean that. Whoever is in authority here was put in that position by God the Son and for His purposes. Do we have to submit to the government? Do we have to submit to church leaders? Yes, we do. There is a limit though. The religious leaders told the apostles not to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Paul wrote, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. If people go outside of the word of God, we need not listen to them or for sure be subject to them. We don't have to do that. That's why years later John wrote, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are people today who say that they are Christians. They use Christian words. They might even be Baptists. Okay? And they do not serve the living God. Test to make sure. And if they do not adhere to Scripture, do not submit to their teaching or leadership. But right now, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. In spite of the pain, the suffering, the damaged relationships caused by Satan's deception... Women will be saved, in spite of this bearing children thing being messed up. Okay, Well, men too, but Paul's concern here is with the women, right? Regardless, in this world it seems clear that the intent was always that husbands should hold the position of authority. Adam was formed first. 
for some reason, God chose this arrangement. So don't get mad at me. <laughs> if you don't like it, you can take it up with him when we get to heaven, okay? And by the way, husbands, it is critical that we do this leading correctly. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Take out the garbage, guys, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's what he's saying. The weaker, that's what he's saying. Do your work servantly. Your, your very spiritual life, not to speak of that of your wife and kids, is bound up in correct leading. This is important. Servant leadership is very important to understand. We've got to live these things. Women should not teach men, at least with a sense of with authority. That could be tied. We need to be submissive to our government and pay our taxes, okay? Our boss really is our boss. And kids need to obey their parents. Everyone is to do what they do for Christ. Wives and husbands. Fathers and children. Employees and bosses. Citizens and governments. And remember, none of those in authority are told to make the others submit. Okay? Discipline in the Lord, yes, is, is something that applies especially with the children and, and erring people of every type and, and position. But mature, spiritual, sound adults, for Christians, this is supposed to be voluntary submission. Okay, So we don't have to submit and a good spirit-filled leader won't make us submit. But then we should not take advantage of proper servant leadership either, okay? This world is messed up. And people refuse to live the way God designed and they end up putting themselves in positions that result in pain and sorrow. Uh, when you consider our country, it's founded on Christian principles. Wives have always been protected by our laws. And those laws have been made better over time. They've been more accurately fine-tuned. But now the laws make no difference. Might as well throw them all out. Because men and women are both overstepping them. They're just sidestepping them. They skip the whole marriage thing entirely and that's it. They, don't even, they just ignore it. And the vast majority of these arrangements fall apart. The vast majority, well over 90%. And then they want to know why their hearts ache. Marriage was designed by God to protect us, particularly the women. And the kind of guy who isn't interested in marriage, well, I heard a lady say once, he's the kind who figures, why buy the cow when the milk is free? <laughs> hmm. This is why we need to be light in a dark world. Living and having respect for good Christian marriage is for them, those that aren't in. Developing good Christian families to sh is to show Christ to the world. That's, that's what it's for. Demonstrate a good Christian work ethic. That honors God so that others are enlightened. Living as good citizens. That shows Christ to those who don't. <laughs> 
I'd like to stop for just a minute and point out the enormous influence women have on men. If a woman does nothing more than enter the room, it changes every man in that room. It does. Every man. I swear to you, it's absolutely amazing. Seminary is usually a bunch of guys, and we had classes with women. Wonderful. It was great. Completely changes the nature. Everything changes. Women have an enormous influence over men. Always. Uh, DeVos, something. The guy that started, one of the guys that started Amway. A billionaire. He's a billionaire. And he tells a story about getting a jacket. You know, it's a sport jacket. And he wore it in with this meeting once, and this young girl says, That is a cool looking jacket. And he says, You know, I drugged that thing out of the closet and wore that thing till it was threadbare. Because one time, one young woman said, That's so nice. Women have an absolutely enormous influence on men. One of the things that irritates people about Michelle Duggar, if you've watched that 19 Kids and Counting, she's constantly saying, My wonderful husband, Jim Bob. My wonderful husband, Jim Bob. My wonderful husband, Jim Bob. All the, she says that all the time. And you know, why, if they're introduced, she says that, and this is my wonderful husband, Jim Bob. If anybody mentions him, my wonderful husband, it's constant. Why does she do that? She constantly says, oh, he works so hard. She says, he's such a good provider. He just loves his girls so much. Oh, he just loves teaching the boys. She says those things. Oh, she constantly says these things. Constantly. Why this constant barrage of positive statements to and about him? Because that's what she wants him to be. (laughs) And she knows and wisely uses the overwhelming influence a wife has on her husband to help him become what he really wants to be. What's the difference between that and nagging? Can't. Why can't you make more money? (laughs) Why can't you help with the kids? Why can't you love me more? That's the difference. I know it sounds silly, even petty. Why can't a guy do what he's supposed to do without me having to pamper him? You know... It would be great if we could. (laughs) And maybe we can. But it would be so wonderful if you could help us along. And I promise you, it'll be worth it. Catch your husband in the act of doing something good and make sure he hears about it. And yes, we know you're doing it. (laughs) We still like it. (laughs) It's still a good thing. And need it. Men, 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 give your lives away. It's not worth living if we try to keep it for ourselves. But I want to go run with the guys, not stay home and mop the kitchen floor. Paint the house. Paint the house instead. I guarantee you the dividends will be much greater than your slacker friends could ever deliver. Okay? Let's just look at it. (laughs) Do the job at the house. It's worth it. Give your life away and it'll be given back to you in much better shape than when you let it go. Back to our previously scheduled sermon. (laughs) Paul understood that humans were designed to have dominion over all creation, but never to dominate one another. 
Yes, leading and helping are a reality. And it can bring joy in your life. Trust God. He really does know what He's doing. And in the new creation, it gets even better, okay? So, <laughs> it gets better. Christ will not just set all this straight. He will create a perfect society that will never, ever be polluted with evil and broken relationships. Here, while we can confound the confused conjectures of sinful men, and they will see Christ. So imagine the ideal. Wives submitting to husbands who sacrificially serve them. Children submitting to and honoring parents who give their lives for them. Workers who give all for Christ to bosses that give all for Christ to them. Everything done sacrificially. That's the ideal. And we know this is possible only if we live lives filled with the Spirit. It all comes down to this. Who do we trust? Who do we trust? If the Spirit has brought us into the church, we have all of the Spirit. we got all of Him. Not part, all. That's us give all of ourselves to Him. Let us be light in a dark world. In all we do, living our lives, I just love this. First time I heard it, I couldn't believe it. I think it's a perfect way to say it. Living our lives such that people ask, why do you live the life you do? In submission. Why are you submissive to your husband? I don't understand. Why do you do that? Why do you just, why do you say to your boss, yes, sir? Why, I think he's, why do you, why don't you? But, or as a servant. Because if you're a leader, you're really a servant. That's your job, to serve whoever you lead. Hmm. Why do you live the life you do? Let's live so people ask us that. Father, thank you so much. This is a scripture that uh, can be kind of uh, interesting. <laughs> people can get really upset, and usually it's women that have a reason to be upset. They have not been properly led. They have been dominated. They have been taken advantage of. They have been deceived. And they're a little gun-shy. And we can understand that. Occasionally we find people who've tried to leave as a, lead as a servant and people have taken advantage of them. And sometimes it can be hard to jump back in and do it right when things have actually gone very well. But we know that all these things are yours and you're guiding us and helping us. So we ask that you do. Help us to understand our position. Each of us has to submit to somebody. Each of us has to lead somebody. Help us to do it well. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.